imagine. The date is October 26, 2020. You're in Louisville, Kentucky. You check your smartphone for the latest updates on your friend's Facebook profile. Check a text from your mother and catch up on the latest news. You take the public transportation system to work, reading up on the latest trade tension with China. You arrive at the University of Louisville where you prepare to teach a history lesson on the early 19th century of the history of the United States. First, though, you check by the university mailroom where you pick up a package of books on the former president, Henry Clay. Welcome to Imagine If, the alternate history podcast. I'm your host, Brody Burton. That may have seemed pretty normal to most of our listeners. It seems pretty average. That's because one of the most consequential men in our political history was responsible for, in a way, each of those things. From trade to public transportation, Henry Clay had been part of the great, great triumvirate of 19th century U.S. politicians. The other two being Daniel Webster and John C. Calhoun. He is the only Speaker of the House to run for president and successfully be elected. And he is only one of those two, and he is one of only two people to receive electoral votes in three presidential elections after the passage of the Twelfth Amendment. The other person being William Jennings Bryan. In this episode, we will explore the presidency of Henry Clay, beginning in 1824. In 1824, four different men ran for president: Andrew Jackson, John Quincy Adams, John H. Cro- William H. Crawford, and Henry Clay. Each fied for the White House, but it was widely deemed that when William H. Crawford died in a duel in mid-1824, the election became a three-horse race, as Crawford's supporters stacked up behind Henry Clay. When election day came, Andrew Jackson received 99 electoral votes, John Quincy Adams received 84 electoral votes, and Henry Clay received 78. The election went to the House of Representatives. Imagine, your name is Henry Clay. The date is January 3rd, 1825. You call, you're the Speaker of the House of Representatives, however you plan on resigning because, hopefully, soon you're about to become the President of the United States. You use a javel to call the attention of the House to order. Attention, gentlemen, I call this session of the House of Representatives of the Congress of the United States of America to order. The first item on our docket is the results of the presidential election of 1824, in which Andrew Andrew Jackson of Tennessee, John Quincy Adams of New York, and myself all received electoral votes, but all failed to receive a majority. Each day, please meet together to cast your state's vote for the presidency. Several minutes later, you call for a vote. I now call for the first ballot. How does the state of Alabama vote? A representative from from the Alabama delegation says, Andrew Jackson. At the end of the first ballot, 11 states vote for Jackson, 7 for John Quincy Adams, and 5 for you. This is one short of the majority Jackson would need to become president. 
I now order a, res a recess to discuss. We shall reconvene tomorrow to cast further ballots. You leave the congressional chamber to meet with John Quincy Adams. All states voted with their state in the election, as expected. What if we try to freeze Jackson out, make it a two-man race? Yes, that might work. You and Adams spend the rest of the day meeting with delegations to attempt to freeze out Jackson. The next day, the House reconvenes. South Carolina, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania flip, the first two for Clay and the final for Adams. On the next ballot, Clay won Illinois and Indiana, and Adams won New Jersey. On the fourth and final ballot, Clay won all of Jackson's former states that had held out. It ended with Clay winning 15 states and Adams winning 9. This majority cast Clay into the White House. On March 4th, Clay was inaugurated the 6th president of the U.S. From there, he began to implement his agenda. He began this agenda with the National Bank of the United States. Rather than renew the second bank of the second federal bank of the U.S.'s charter, he nationalized the bank and caused Congress to control it. This went widely without controversy. Then he signed the Tariff Act of 1825. This caused controversy, as the South attempted to annul the 10% tariff. Clay appeased some Southerners as ports in Charleston, Savannah, and Richmond improved, and the National Road effectively took U.S. goods into northern markets. However, soon, an, un an unexpected conflict would occur out of a failure in foreign policy. Henry Clay appointed James Wilkinson the U.S. ambassador to the brand-new, fresh-off-the-boat state of Mexico. However, Wilkinson had been spying on the Spanish in for the Spanish in Mexico. Of course, Clay promptly fired the ambassador once news reached him. However, in Mexico, Guadalupe Victoria ordered his execution. The U.S. could not stand this blow to their pride. Wilkinson had been a veteran of both the Revolution and of the War of 1812. Clay asked Congress to declare war in Mexico on April 30, 1826. U.S. forces were mostly left over from the War of 1812, led by General Winfield Scott. Scott led forces across Louisiana to launch an attack on Texas. His forces marched south and quickly took Nacogdoches, and San Antonio. However, once word came, however, word came that Mexican forces under Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana were on their way to launch an attack on the Americans. Scott hid behind the walls of the former mission San Antonio de Bexar, where conflict ensued. The Battle of the Alamo was the first large engagement between the United States and Mexican forces. Scott won the battle against Santa Ana. He continued his march southward. The forces again met at Monterey, but were defeated by a substantial Mexican force. Choosing to cash in while they were up, Mexican forces sent an envoy to surrender to the U.S. However, Scott executed them. Once he accomplished this, he continued southward. U.S. forces under William Henry Harrison then invaded the Yucatan. Mexico was surrounded on all sides. Scott sacked Mexico City in late 1832, which boosted Henry Clay's re-election bid. 
The Senate signed a treaty with Mexico City, which allowed the U.S. to annex the Yucatan and everything north of the Penco and Rio Grande de Santiago rivers. The war taught America a few things, though. First, the U.S. wasn't safe for good. Second, the United States Navy was garbage at this point and had nearly lost to Mexico several times. Henry Clay signed the Armed Forces Act of 1833 and 1833, which created a massive U.S. Navy with frigates, and expanded the U.S. Armed Forces. Funds for national defense also increased. However, cracks in Henry Clay's presidency began and legacy began to form. Henry Clay won in the House of Representatives in 1824 despite being the third-place candidate in both the electoral and popular vote. In 1824, he defeated Andrew Jackson, the candidate of the newly minted Democratic Party, named after what they thought would be Jackson instituting democratic principles. Clay founded the National Republican Party in opposition to Jackson. However, Clay lost his vice president, John C. Calhoun, to the Democrats. To replace him in 1832, a Massachusetts lawyer by the name of Daniel Webster defeated John C. Calhoun, who ran with Andrew Jackson. However, Clay could not run for re-election because every president told him he could not. In 1836, the Democrats renominated their 1832 ticket to be met by the Republicans nominating Vice President Daniel Webster and former General William Henry Harrison for, off- for office. This ticket was explosive and defeated the Democratic candidates by a hefty margin. However, in 1837, the economy collapsed, and and though Andrew Jackson did not run again, the John C. Calhoun-Martin Van Ruin ticket won the White House in 1840. This ticket stayed in power until 1848. Van Buren did not run in 48, and instead the National Republican candidate, William H. Seward, was elected. This started a civil war in which four southern states revolted, but it was quickly put down. In the 20th century, the U.S. expanded her influence to become a major world power, buying up Pacific islands and atolls and Caribbean islands. They would fight major global wars before becoming the undisputed world ruler in the 21st century. Henry Clay is regarded as one of the founding six, the most important and watershed presidencies in the history of the United States.